I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. And today we're going to talk about coronavirus yet again and earthquakes, because there was a whole lot of shaking going on uh, in in our state about a couple of days ago. Uh, We were recording this on Friday, but on Wednesday morning, what is it, 7.08 or Mm 7.09? Slightly after 7, yeah. I had just gotten up, right? And and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to the restroom. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is weird. Mm-hmm. And I literally, I'm, uh, we have a water closet, so I, I put my hands on either wall so that mm-hmm. I don't, you know, like I, I, and then because I thought there was, I literally thought there was a, a truck that was about to, it was rolling down my street for some reason and just going to crash into my house. Yeah, I had never experienced anything like that um, in my life. Well, so, I grew up in Alaska, so I had experienced it before. Oh. And uh, but I wasn't sure. We live by I two fifteen, and I had the same thought you did. That's an awfully big semi, because uh, I wasn't. My feet weren't on the ground. I was sitting on a bar stool. I was actually just doing a little journaling. Mm-hmm. I was I had taken care of my dogs and was talking to my husband before he left for work. And he said, and my nephew was in the room. He said, "I said, what's what is what is because that looked like the top of our house was shaking because mm-hmm. all the lights were moving." And he said, "That's this, it's an earthquake." And I said, "Oh, it is an earthquake." And then my nephew kind of looked at us like. What should I do? Which direction should I run, right? And I'm just thinking, because it went on, I don't know, 10 or so seconds, and I thought, um, should we get under the table? I mean, we were, like, pretty mellow about it. And, wow, you were uh, way yeah, cooler than and I and afterwards I knew it was about, because I'd had this experience before, uh, which, you know, frankly, the first time I had it, I was a kid, and it was terrifying. And we did get under our desks at school, um, and it was about a 6.2, and so I knew this oh, wow. was I knew this was smaller than that, but I didn't know... We had no idea, like, you don't ever know how far are you from the epicenter, Mm -hmm. so you don't know if what you're experiencing is the peak of it or a ripple effect, so it turned out to be in Magna, which is about eight miles west of us, and... um, So you were closer than I was, then. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it, it, you know, just knocked some things askew and tipped some stuff over, but not, nothing crazy, but you know, there's some serious damage to some of those buildings out on Main Street and in Magna, and... Um, you, uh, some of my I'm friends, sure some of those are going to be demolished, no question. Yeah, and I don't know. I hope they find a way to save some of the historic buildings on Main Street, you know, and refurbish them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of buildings in downtown Salt Lake that cracked um, all the way up the sides of the facades. I think it's mostly uh, cosmetic, Yeah, you know? Stuff you can actually repair. But yeah. yeah, so, um, you know, it was, it was crazy. But, yeah, we have this in the middle of... Uh, and I actually put this on Twitter in the middle of all this coronavirus outbreak. And in the very first press conference, when we had our very first patient being treated here in Utah, um, we had a press conference. It was late at night. Lots of media. I didn't know anybody. I think that all the media were unknown to me except the KSL people. And uh, somebody, a gentleman asked, "What? how will you treat these cases or how will you deal with this infectious disease sort of unit that they have created out at IMC? 
um, if there's like an earthquake or a fire or, or, you know, something like that. And we all kind of just sat there because it was like, it seemed like such a bizarre question. Right. Right. It was like, well, and they just said, well, we'll just, you know, cross that bridge when we get there, (laughs) you know, kind of didn't really answer it. And little did they know. I did think of that as I was out running. That morning after the earthquake, and there was a lot of aftershocks, and yeah. they we were up to 120 or something. It was a but crazy I only number. felt the, uh, the the early morning one and the afternoon one, and actually the afternoon oh, I felt one. After. I was in the newsroom downtown, mm-hmm. and again, you could kind of tell it just it, it started to happen, and you know you, you kind of perk up because I was otherwise it had been perfectly fine, mm-hmm. and you thought, okay, how bad is this going to go? But you know, like when you watch it on television, of course, it's never real. But uh, the idea though is it. The first one lasted, I would say, 30 seconds maybe? No. Where I was? Much shorter, they said. Okay, maybe it was. USGS said. It just, maybe it just seemed longer because yeah. I never had one. And then the second one was even shorter than that. Yeah. So, but those were, one was uh, 5.7 and the other one was like 4 point something. Yeah. And that and, was the one at shortly after noon or right. something. And it was, uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. one twelve. But, um, but, you know, I felt them all throughout the day. Uh, you, see, I never felt anything. I, I never yeah. felt any of the aftershocks everybody talked about. You know. Yeah, I think it always depends on what you're doing because anything under like five ish. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to be paying attention. But the five point seven or five point eight. I can't. I don't know was, that, that four point six was, or whatever it was. That was it, pretty. But that fi- the one in the morning was very loud. I've yes, seen a lot of videos. It was really loud. And that's the thing I think what, that was interesting to me was I don't remember the one from my childhood being that loud. So when you when you're a kid, it, do you feel like it was? It just, you felt it, and they were they bigger. Um, Some, well, yeah, bigger? the magnitude was bigger, and but I just remember. I mean, I just remember as a kid being terrified, and you know, getting under my desk, and so you grew up in, yeah, uh, in was it Anchorage? Anchorage. Mm-hmm. So Anchorage is a city, though. I mean, yeah. so it it you feel like with all the buildings and stuff, it might. I, I guess it's I not thought a high rise city, though. There's a few. There's the Captain Cook Hotel. There's a few buildings now, but. It's not. It's a port city, so mm-hmm. it's pretty. Oh, it's off the water. Yeah. So, did uh, were there any tidal waves or anything from there? No. The they say there's dangers of tsunami if they're big enough, but they didn't have anything in Cook Inlet. Not, you know, I mean, again, I'm a kid. I'm 13 years old, I think, at the time, mm-hmm. and um, just moved there from Utah, and I had no idea. You thought you uh, you didn't even know what an earthquake was? Well, I just th- I just wanted to go home. I mean, <laughs> after that, I was done. The teacher was like, "Well, you can go call your mom," because I was a big ball baby. Um, but yeah, I mean, and there were, we had a few throughout my, you know, my growing up years. Um, but we just, nothing big enough to worry us, you know, maybe knock some pictures over or did a little, you know, like I said, cosmetic damage, broke a mirror, mm-hmm. you know, something so like that. So they were at least as strong as the ones you felt on uh, Wednesday morning, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That was, they were stronger, you know. And you still, even though they were stronger, mm-hmm. you weren't afraid? No, I don't think, I mean, I think... Cause I'm gonna tell you, yeah. I, I look. I like to believe that I'm a uh, you know courageous, courageous brave guy. And, yeah. But when I felt that sucker, I'm like this. This. I'm wondering, is my house gonna fall in on me? Well, and here's then when what, I was downtown. I was really worried. Here's the thing that I would say. Um, I would feel. I I think these are all reminders. The coronavirus. This. A lot of things in the recent couple months. Reminders that we're not that important. You know, to the whole of things. We are a blip on the screen. Yeah. And so I it, I mean, that is both a comforting and a distressing yeah. reality. Right. So you like to think that you're you matter to the world and you <laughs> matter to, to God and all of that. But, you know, I think that's a reminder that, um, you know, 
if something falls on you and you get squished, you know, the world's going to keep on turning that's and people right. are going to keep on doing what they do. But but I also feel like that's kind of a comforting thing in that um, the responsibility that you feel sometimes as a parent or as a, a person who cares about other, you know, have other family members you mm-hmm. care about. Maybe you're taking care of your parents or whatever um, that um, dissipates a little because you think, you know what, if I'm not here to do it. They're still, going to be, be okay. Somebody's going to be okay. Somebody's going to do it. Yeah. When so. we come back, we're going to come back and and talk about uh, what's new with coronavirus. What's new with coronavirus? Which especially I guess here we, in Utah, it's it's certainly and and you know around the world. I just I don't know when this is going to end, but it it is certainly in my lifetime. I just believe it's the biggest thing that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and we'll be talking about it, you know, forever. You're listening to Voices of Reason. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. And uh, we're going to go away from earthquakes <laughs> to coronavirus, COVID-19. Or now they actually have uh, another name they're going to start using that's related to SARS. No. Yeah, because it's a SARS virus. It's a, it's related to the SARS virus. So they have they number them. So I think it's important to say that this is called this is a new coronavirus. So coronavirus right, coronavirus, coronaviruses coronavirus yeah. are related. And COVID-19 is the illness that people get when they get after they it's sort of like HIV. And right. AIDS, like you right? get HIV. That's how you can get AIDS. That's yes. the virus that causes the disease Correct. that is AIDS. Yes. Uh, so or the sickness that's AIDS. AIDS. So I think um, so some some interesting things that are new. So. Uh, California has a shelter in place. How about order. that? So, 40 million people. I, I I can't see how that's going to work because I yeah. remember earlier in the week, Bill de Blasio had been talking about doing that in uh, you know New York City mm-hmm. with eight and a half million people. And I thought that would seem impossible. Now to think that California, our uh, our largest state by population, is actually implementing this program and, and just just the magnitude of, of that just seems overwhelming, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how it works. And, and to me, it's interesting that there's still people who are, um, you know, who are reluctant to abide by the advice of literally every epidemiologist or infectious disease doctor who's worth, you know, a nickel, right? And I've loved Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is uh, on President Trump's mm-hmm. team. He is, in my opinion, the calmest most credible voice in all of government at this moment 
And I love hearing from him. I could hear him talk about everything and it would make me feel so much better. Um, you know, as they debate how to, we, we've known, we did, a, we did a podcast on the economic impact this was mm-hmm. going to take. And I knew way back when I started covering this in February, beginning of February, when we had some Utahns stuck on a cruise ship, that this was going to be a problem because a lot of these, um, the personal protective equipment that mm-hmm. uh, medical people wear to t- to to take to care of the, the sick, the to administer the tests, yep. they um, are made in China. And we had shut down uh, all travel to China, uh, to and, and from. Imports and exports, absolutely. All imports and exports. And so um, I, I thought, well, this is going to be interesting because you don't know all the little components of all your watches and clocks and phones and whatever that come from China. I guess I didn't really understand how we would do our thing here in America. And it's interesting. We're very independent and we're very rebellious and we don't like being told what to do, (laughs) especially out in the West. I think the West, I think the California governor has a much more difficult challenge than maybe New York City, although Ed says New York's, they're like West Coast with an edge. So (laughs) so being a New Jersey um, native. But so, you know, I think each part of the country has its own unique um, challenges, right? But I think by and large people here, they abide by the rules. They follow what the government tells us to do. They try to be good law-abiding citizens. And so I think, and they're very, we're like number one in volunteerism every single year. And so I think it's a good place to be um, for something like this. I do think you're starting to see people saying, you can't tell me, the government can't tell me I can't gather with my neighbors. I can't um, well, you can, but if you do so at your peril and to the peril and to the detriment well, these, potentially again, of other people. Yeah, and we should reiterate that because there was some confusion about this on Thursday night when Salt Lake County and Utah County both issued yeah. orders saying that this was a misdemeanor and somebody said you could get charged and also be civilly sued. And then the governor said, no, that's, no, that's not, not true. true. Yeah. I mean, these are recommendations. I, I think for the most part, unless it becomes a problem, no one's going to get arrested for having large gatherings, right? But the... The advice is sound, and and it, and they know this from watching, watching the control and the lack of control in other countries. Remember that South Korea, Singapore, Taiwan, Italy, um, Germany, France, they're UK. They're all ahead of us, and so you can look around the world and see what they did that worked well and what they did that didn't work well. And I know there's no America out there, right? Because right, we're, lar- we're the third largest country in, Amer- in the world. And Canada is probably the closest as far as like the freedom with which people travel yeah, and yeah. do their thing, right? So, you know, it is an interesting, but they have a national health care system, which, you know, I think one of the things that coronavirus has exposed is how do you control an epidemic when a lot of people don't have access to (laughs) medical care, right? So I think there's a lot of questions that we've been forced to answer. Now, government is shutting down businesses. So this is the part that's going to be really, really difficult. So what does government owe those business owners and what do business owners and the government own those employees? Absolutely. Right? All of this is happening of no one's accord other than the government mandating that you can't have so many people in a room saying that if you own in in, uh, in Utah, if in our largest county, you can't have a bar or your restaurant. Nobody can go inside and, and, and congregate. You, you can only do curbside services, no dining in. You can't go to the bar and just hang out with your friends. This, this kind of thing, though I recognize why they do it, I, there's part of me that says 
they may create a bigger problem, economically speaking, uh, later on, because all of these people now, mm -hmm. th this, there's tens of thousands of people, I'm, and I may be underestimating this, actually, who are no longer uh, have a job. And so yeah. they don't have, and, and all these businesses, their revenues have uh, diminished uh, significantly, which also means that there's few tax dollars coming in. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're putting ourselves in a situation where it costs us a lot of money to keep this engine running, and we're not getting the money to, uh, to come in that's going to help us uh, do it in a way that is you know, fiscally sound. Well, I don't think we were fiscally sound going into this. I know everyone loved the economy going into this, but we've talked about it before, you and I. This deficit mm -hmm. was a problem. And I have been, there's been maybe six or seven Congress people, Ben McAdams among them. I think Mike Lee's been among them saying, or maybe I think Mitt Romney actually yeah. did, saying, if we don't get this deficit under control, this is a national security issue. Now you can see this is a basically the equivalent of your family being completely extended on credit card and all your debt. You're maxed out debt wise. And then you have this emergency. Yep. And so now you still have, you know, you're still healthy enough to continue working, but you're completely stretched when it comes to finances. And now how are you going to borrow more? Where are you going to steal from? What, do you, what bill are right. you not going to pay so that you can- What else is going to suffer? That you can rescue all these businesses that the government shut down. Listen, I want it. People always say stuff like, well, you know, it's not their responsibility. When the government shuts you down because of a health crisis, then it's not they owe you something. Absolutely. And, and somebody said, you know, maybe we call it this or call it that. I don't care what you call it. Call it uh, reparations. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, right. I don't care. People are like upset about the terminology. The bottom line is when the government destroys your business, right? which is what's happening. It's not, not because they want to, but because they have to control this yes. uh, public health crisis. Then they owe you something. And we as a community can try to mitigate that. But, I mean, I'm, my husband is literally trying single-handedly to keep some businesses in. I've eaten a lot, of, a lot more takeout and a <laughs> lot more pastries than I have in a long time. And uh, I told him. So we're I, all going to gain a little bit of weight because we and have diabetes when it's all over is what you're saying? I guess. But, you know, I mean, I think there are things we can do. But also we, I have to think about what do I do? Absolutely. You know, we're not I, making any more money. Uh, my either. daughter's hours just got That's cut. Right. Um, you know, she doesn't have health care. And there, um, are, you know what? And, and there are some businesses like grocery stores that are hiring more people. Yeah. But it won't be enough to replace all the jobs that were lost. And yeah. that's the difficulty here, because even though before, like you said, we had this supposedly great economy, what mm -hmm. we realize now is, and as Derek Miller told us about a week ago, that 70% of our uh, economy is through retail and entertainment and, and spending uh, at, uh, at these kind of establishments, and now we no longer can do that, and, and restaurants and things like that. So we, we are in uh, a deep spot right here. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. You're listening to Voices of Reason. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. And we're going to kind of switch uh, gears a little bit here. And, you know, now that we know that we're going to be in this coronavirus kind of limbo uh, to some uh, degree for, uh, for at least the foreseeable future, we want to talk about what, what do you do to kind of manage this situation when you can't go out and do as much as you're used to doing? And uh, you, you, you want to still be, you know, engaged with your family, 
yet not overwhelmed by the fact that you have to you don't have school to send your kids to anymore how do how do you help them learn no, there's, while I mean, there's a completely kind of different thing, reality so first of all like i have friends who uh, we have a friend jared eborn he's about to have a new grandson mm-hmm. uh he may not get to see that baby for quite some time that's right right so there's this reality of separation. Uh, this lieutenant governor mentioned a story where his father had a birthday, but his father's in the at-risk category. So they FaceTimed him for his birthday. Um, so you have family members all. And I'm used to some of this because my family has always lived so thousands away. of miles apart. We FaceTimed milestones, people's baptisms, concerts, graduations, you name it. I have always, even before FaceTime, I figured out ways to try to let my parents live that moment with us. Um, so uh, this is something that um, now you're seeing everybody kind of trying to innovate. I think there's going to be a lot of changes that way. I think um, the hard thing is um, humans need contact. They need social outlet. They need um, affection from other people. Now I'm not talking about like romantically or anything. Right, but just, but, you know, but just like, you know, other, yeah. uh, I mean, they just did a study saying women live longer if they hug every day. Right, so guys would live longer too. By the way, and the yeah. hug should last fifteen seconds. Well, now they're okay, saying don't creepy. touch. Um, well, it depends on who you're hugging. I mean, I'm, if it's a stranger, I that's a long it. time. I haven't, I have, other you than know. a romantic interest, I can't think of the last time I hugged somebody for fifteen seconds. Oh, I hugged lots of people. Yeah. So yeah, okay. yeah, I've hugged. I've, I I opt for a hug over a handshake with certain people. But, no, but I'm just saying, yeah. it was it fifteen seconds? Yeah, well, I don't know if about fifteen seconds yeah, well, a I, for in a. You know, other than like my very bestest, bestest no, right, right. friends, you know, so, but I, I think I've been really interested. I've interviewed a lot of people about how they're changing their businesses. And I know I mentioned to Derek that they should, local uh, restaurants should start making pre-made meals that mm-hmm. we can freeze. And, you know, uh, and I noticed today that somebody has said they're going to try competing with Blue Apron and have That's local actually a great restaurants idea, yes. give you the ingredients fresh mm-hmm. from here and you can go home and make it whenever you want. The, I think those are fantastic ideas. The, these are ways they're evolving. Uh, you had Schmidt's Pastry Cottage giving out two loaves of bread, one loaf for you, one loaf you could give away. Right. And then a lot of people were donating money. Um, you know, a lot but of a people lot, are doing the gift cards. Yeah, and the gift cards, uh, the gift cards though are not an innovation. Like the gift cards will keep people afloat and I think it's a good idea, but... I am interested in a lot in how businesses are just adapting, how they're going to change the way they do things, right? Um, you know, uh, I interviewed a friend of ours, Lucy Dillon, owns a yoga studio, um, 21st Yoga, and they've kind of resisted this online push to a lot of studios and workout gyms are doing online classes and stuff. And now they're doing it because they have to. But also, I think you serve people you didn't know were not being served by you have to come into the physical building sure. right so i think a lot there was actually a hashtag going around about people with disabilities being angry that now companies are accommodating everybody working from home <laughs> but they hadn't been to- doing that previously yeah, right? and they hadn't done that and so you see a lot of companies saying well do we really need a physical building can we have our employees doing this uh, from remotely? And does that open the opportunities up for people who do have disabilities, maybe who have fragile uh, immune systems sure. or, um, you know, can't, you know, aren't as mobile as uh, somebody else? So I think there are a lot of things people are rethinking, right? Companies are rethinking. Um, I think it's made people more aware of when they spend money, spend money for somebody who's going to also reinvest in your community. 
Um, a lot of these companies that are struggling now, uh, like Schmidt or Great Harvest or Chick-fil-A, even they're all locally owned franchises. Um, they've supported community efforts like, mm-hmm. you know, Chick-fil-A in my neighborhood gave food to all the kids at the high school uh, oh, nice. in the musical. Right. So I making sure that I support them. And same with Great Harvest. They gave us a lot of donations for our to raise money for our our you know, all the things you have to pay for when you have a kid in production. Yeah. So I, I think there are a lot. There's an Ogden distillery. Uh, they do. Oh, like, how about that? Yeah. Well, they, they will make it vodka. Now they're going to be making hand sanitizer. How great is that? Because they have, well, I yeah. mean, alcohol is a little different, but if you know what you're doing, you can make it so that it can be useful for, for other things. And the crazy thing is that you have to get federal government approval to make hand sanitizer. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. So they had to go through some steps to be able to to make it, but they got that 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 approval, and so now now their issue is how are we going to distribute it, right? Like, do we have people order it and we send it to them? Like he jokingly said, we'll ha- we'll sell it from the back of our car. Well, you know, I mean that they, they may have to drive around to local grocery stores and drop it off or sell it in the parking lot. I don't know. By the but way, it's 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 five wives. Yeah, uh, I want to make because sure, look, I've. Just because I think it's funny, I, I'm going to. It's five, typically they make spirits, right? This is mm-hmm. an Ogden company called Five mm-hmm. Wives Vodka and Porter's Whiskey, and now they're going to be doing Five Wives Hand Sanitizer. And that's to me, again, this is the innovation part of us that we we find some way, literally, to make the lemons out of the, uh, the lemonade, the lemonade out of the lemons, and and this is something that is going to be useful. It's going to be something that uh, people will remember because this this isn't going to last forever, but. We are going to be able to take some things from us going forward. They're going to serve us better in the long run. And I, I feel like this is yeah. one of those things. Actually, No, I just think it's made us rethink a lot of things, a lot right. of supply chains and what you buy and how you, you know, what you need. Right. What's necessary. And how you how you recreate with your family. Yeah. You know, I was out recently and I saw a family. They had three kids, all of them under 10. And so this is mom and dad walking. They've been walking mm-hmm. around the block. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the kids don't have anything to do. They can't play with other children. Uh, you know, you can go to the park, but you kind of got to be a little mm-hmm. leery of that because you can't come in contact with too many people. And, you know, there's a, there's this part of them that is happy to be together. But there's also this part of them that is trying to get used to the new normal, for, at least for a while, and entertain kids who are, you know, how young kids are. They're extremely difficult to entertain sometimes. Yeah. And especially over, you know, day after day after day. And they don't have any other, any other way to have an outlet with your, their friends either. Uh, just watching them, I, there's a bit of me that saw some uh, some frustration, yeah. and and a little uh, they were they're a little taxed. Yeah, well, I think um, I saw uh, somebody told me they saw uh, dads taking their kids fishing at a little fishing yeah, yeah. pond. Um, I saw there's a company that uh, normally has. Uh, princesses that go out, you know, women who dress up as prince, Disney princesses, and they go to hospitals and birthday parties and stuff like that. Well, now they're doing online tea parties, uh, and they're free. Uh, but people are donating and trying mm-hmm. to support them, right? So, but I saw one Grant Elementary principal. She reads a bedtime story to all the kids at her school on Facebook Live every night. And How I great just, is that? I think it's an amazing thing. So I think. Um, I think a lot of a lot of parents are appreciating teachers a lot more. A whole lot more. <laughs> and then, you know what? I think we all appreciate the fact that in as much as you love spending time with your family, 
you know, it, it helps a little bit if you have absence a, a does little, make the heart does, grow fonder. Right? And, what and you're you, talking about, you have yeah. another outlet besides just being. Yeah. In, now, now we have a, a greater appreciation for back in the old days. You know, maybe in the eight, uh, 19th century, or the 18th century, where they didn't have any of the kinds of things we had to entertain mm-hmm. ourselves, and they actually had to just look at each other and stay in a small room. Imagine small this house. before on demand. Oh, I don't even <laughs> want to think about it. We'll uh, finish our conversation when we come back. You're listening to Voices of Reason. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, Amy Donaldson, along with myself, Jason Lee. And we're going to switch one more time and talk a little bit into politics because, you know, so much of this is just where you are. You kind of experience what's happening with this coronavirus. But nationally, the federal government is having uh, Congress is having an issue. uh, The White House is having issues trying to keep up with this and and, and figure out a way to manage this the best way. Yeah, we have elections that are going on. Absolutely. And we have local elections. Right. So. Um, are there going to be conventions? Um, you know, uh, will, ha- some primaries have been postponed or canceled. So how how do those voters get to cast their votes? Um, so there are, um, you know, in where all focus was on these debates and mm-hmm. these town halls. I mean, the last Democratic debate was no audience, which I actually preferred. Um, I there's no clapping in between and all that stuff. And yeah, they actually have a I feel like it's. Know? I feel like too much politics. Politics has become too much like sports, yes, right? I and would so, agree. if we take the audience out and the big applause, mm-hmm. I mean, we already still have the viral crap, which we're never getting rid of. I'm convinced. But um, if we could just actually have conversations and have people answer questions and hold their feet to the fire right. and have good exchanges, I think. I mean, I th- I think um, it's been interesting just these daily briefings that politicians have had locally and nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you see. More and more completely when you when it's just this question and answer type of situation. But, you know, so you have the president who's already secured the Republican nomination. Uh, you have Joe Biden, who's well in the lead. I, I believe he's, he's more than halfway yeah. Yeah, there. He's halfway over halfway there. Yeah, he won the, the last um, big primary day. I think it had it was supposed to have five, but it had four uh, primaries and um, he won all four. And so there's some discussion now about what Bernie Sanders would do. T- Tulsi Gabbard dropped out and, yep. and endorsed Biden. Um, I thought that was interesting. I thought, I think that it's interesting. Um, and again, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a devoted member of the Democratic Party, so I'm observing this as an outsider. That um, that they m- have really coalesced around Biden, right? Because um, they see where this is going. Yeah, and I think that. Um, I mean, obviously, I wished. They picked been a else. different Absolutely. candidate. However, um, <laughs> but I wish the Republicans in 2016 had picked a different candidate. Right. So, Anything. you know, I think that um, it's interesting to me uh, to see the difference in what the Republicans did in 2016, where they basically just fought. I mean, Ted Cruz and and Donald Trump really fought till the end, um, even after it was clear he couldn't win. Um, and then you have and, and I don't remember. Trump getting a lot of endorsements uh, on along not the way. In, not not initially. They just, but they did fall yeah. behind him when it came time. When, to, when push came, when it came to the sure, national, yeah. Once he got the nomination, they absolutely did. And so I think that's an interesting um, you know, dynamic. And um, but it's just been interesting to try to watch it and worry about it when this other when the when the country is in this health crisis, right? Um, and I don't know. I don't know what impact that's going to have. 
I mean, you're going to see unemployment go from like the lowest that it's ever been in right, 50 right years. Right now, it's under 4%. It's got to go up. But it probably. was lower than that. It was like the lowest since- No, no, no. I'm just saying yeah. uh, nationally, the, it was under 4%, but uh, in some states, it was under 3 But yeah. if you if you just imagine today that uh, this month, it's you got to feel like it's probably going to go up to around 7 Yeah, and they said it'll go as high as 20 That's the 20%. Estimate. 20% unemployment. And here's the thing. Um, <laughs> that is a nightmare. The- uh, President Trump said this could go, and I've believed this for quite some time. Everybody's like, well, in two weeks we're going to reevaluate, and everybody's talking about what we're doing in June. And the president said four or five days ago, this is probably going to go on through July or August. And I think that's, that is my greatest hope is that is how, when it ends, because I think it very well could go on longer because as you see, these things are waves and they last a few weeks and you have to do a lot to mitigate them and there are states that are just barely barely having their first few cases and we're lucky because so far it's under two percent i mean overall the amount of fatalities yeah and so we we hope we can manage it that way in in the united states but you know and and in utah and by the way if 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 he happens to be listening i i wish the best for ben mcadams who mm-hmm. was one of the first he was the first member of congress second second yeah. uh, oh florida, the guy um, florida senator that's florida right. uh, congressman was, was first he uh, yeah. so i these, think they were he was first by like 6 yeah. hours so these two gentlemen on the same day uh, announced that they were uh, test they had a tested positive for uh, the coronavirus so now they're they're in treatment and just kind of being self quarantined and you know i i i have full confidence that both of them will recover and you know kind of go on with their careers mm-hmm. but you know when you when you look at that this is this is how it affects everyone it doesn't matter necessarily you know what your status is it is just something that if you happen to be in a circle where somebody has been exposed it can expose you yeah. and 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 to this end we have to figure out how as a country we manage to help everybody get the opportunity to have the best uh healthcare available to them. Yeah. And and that's the difficulty because right now it seems as though the people who you know are in the, you know, the elite uh economically speaking, they have a a higher uh ability to get or a greater ability to get to good uh treatment and then the the you know, oftentimes people when they do if they do succumb to it, it is because they had some uh, pre, uh, some other illness to kind of go along with it. Yeah. So here's the thing. This has exposed a lot of things, but it's also exposed, like, look at all the NBA players with no symptoms, and Idris Elba was the same way. Yep. No symptoms, and they get tested. And then you have these people who have symptoms, and, and I, I and there was a, a doctor who was on KBD's special on uh, Wednesday night who said, I had two pa- patients. One met the qualifications and could get tested. The other one, I'm fairly certain, had COVID-19, but I could not get them tested. because there are not, And, and the, the issues with testing are complicated. I've written about it. But basically, there are not enough tests. There are not enough equipment uh, for healthcare workers to, to wear and administering those tests. And there are not enough reagent, which is a chemical they use to process the test. So you can solve one of those problems. You still have two others, right? right? And some of those... Are the reagent issue is much more difficult. So there's no end in sight. Like th- maybe in a few weeks we'll see a different scenario with testing. But um, I think the problem is that right now is when we feel like it's critical. But but so you see people who are rich and have no symptoms getting tested, and you're like, wait a second. Yeah. And I saw the was it the, the the Clippers that said no, they wouldn't test them. They wouldn't unless test they their had players some symptoms, right. unless they had symptoms. Uh, there's players and staff would not be tested and. 
I I actually appreciated that. I thought here California is in the throes of, you know, one of the yeah. worst. They, them, Washington State, New York, New Jersey, somewhat Florida. Those are the worst places right now. Um, that they would say, you know what, save the tests. If we take them, there's not a test for someone right. else. And uh, but you know, I understand too. If I could get tested, and I th- thought I I didn't want to expose people, you know, what quarantining yourself. I have my daughter got sick, and she said. You know, I'm going to act like I have it. And after like five <laughs> days, she's like, I really want to know if I have it. Because like, so right? you don't realize like how isolating it is. Well, you know what? Look, I've been fortunate enough. I don't get sick very often anyway. And other than, you know, sneezing, because I, I, apparently uh, I got some allergies going on. I feel fine. So until something really bad happens, I'm going to, con- you know, do the best I can to wash my hands, stay, you know, healthy and, and avoid being in too many bigger crowds. Even though I will say today, the biggest irony that I experienced recently was that I was at the... Uh, Utah governor's uh, press conference today talking about the economy and how it's being impacted. And he brought uh, nine speakers with him. And each of them came. And at one point, one of the people looking in the room was saying, there's too many people in this room. I'm like, yeah, we, we totally um, uh, broke the rule that he had uh, put up so that we wouldn't uh, be exposing too many people. So hopefully we, we get this uh, going you know, in, in a fashion that is manageable. But until now, until then, all of you out there, be careful, wash your hands, stay uh, inside as much as you can. Try to limit your exposure to other people because, you know, until we can manage this, it can be a, a pretty big health hazard. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail.com or at VORJasonL at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at ADONSports and at JasonLee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at VORPodcast. You can check out our Facebook page and also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on any of the places where you can find your, uh, your podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or other places. And uh, be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.